Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. chapter number one. I'll begin reading for the sake of time. We'll touch throughout this chapter hopefully in these days. Uh, But let's begin reading in verse number 14. Uh, Of course this is the Apostle Paul and he is writing to uh, the saints that are in Rome uh, there according to uh, verse number one and then verse number uh, seven as well. He's writing to those in Rome and he says this. He says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome, or at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, now, as great as those verses are, that's not my heart for this morning. Look at verse number 17 and 18 this morning. They set us up for our thought. In the context of the gospel and what the gospel does, Paul tells these at Rome, he says, for therein, in other words, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now notice verse 18. He's just dealt with the righteousness of God that is revealed. Now he's about to deal with the wrath of God that is revealed. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Notice this word, against. Not alongside of, not not agreeing with, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. I don't know if it stirs you up about the generation that we're living in, but it bothers me that I know how true this is about the day and hour which we live in. And that we're talking about people. When we read these verses, we are reading words that describe people that we work right next to and live right next to and will be arm in arm with throughout the days of our week. Verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts 
to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them a hoover. To a reprobate mind <laughs> to do those things which are not convenient. Yes, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, dis, uh, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. And then verse 32 sums it Sums, it brings this to a conclusion. Uh, while, it be, while it is a heartbreaking conclusion, it does yeah. conclude the chapter. Right. Who knowing the judgment of God, yeah. that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You may be seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer this morning. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, I bow before you this morning realizing how bad I need your help and how bad I need your touch. Lord, I thank you, God, for being a wonderful God that found me. Lord, you didn't let me live many years of my life until I could say that I had been redeemed and found and secured in the hand of my Father in heaven. And Lord, I realize what a wonderful joy it is to be able to say that, that I have lived more years of my life as a Christian than I ever did as a lost man. And Lord, that's a wonderful grace from you. But, Lord, we realize that not everyone is in that position. And, Lord, we live in a world that tries to explain away sin, that tries to minimize sin. And, Lord, we realize that that's not the kind of God that you are, and that all sinners stand before you unholy and unrighteous. And, Lord, God in in a position of certain judgment that is to come. We realize that you're angry with the wicked every day. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would help me to turn the light on. And as we study this passage, the condition of the world in which we live, and Lord, to just simply try to apply these truths to where we are today. Lord, please help me, God. I realize that Lord, that much is what is it, Lord, that much of what in, is in front of me 
and Lord, that I've studied, God, unless you help me, may not mean much to many that are gathered here today, but I pray, God, that you would make the difference, yeah. and you'd take me as your servant, Lord, as nothing more than a mouthpiece, and God, that you would just make it what you would have for it to be in the hearts and lives of each and every person here. Save that one that's lost, I pray. Touch that one that may be backslid. And Lord God, I pray that you would touch your people and speak to us that which we stand in need of today as well. Please, God, help us today as only you can. And Father, I'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that you do in the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When we come to this morning to our text, obviously we come to Romans chapter number 1. This is the introductory chapter of Paul's book to uh, his letter, if you will, to the Romans. And as we understand that if you talk to many individuals about what their favorite book of the Bible is, many would say Romans. If you talk to many Bible scholars and ask them perhaps what is the most important book in your New Testament, many of the I would say Romans. It is in the book of Romans that we have what has been called a systematic theology of the Word of God. In the book of Romans we find more being dealt with on subjects of salvation, Christian service, and Christian living than perhaps any other book in the New Testament. It is laid out clearly. It's laid out plainly. This is what a Christian is to believe and this is how a Christian is to live. In the beginning verses of this chapter, which, uh, Lord willing, I will deal toward the, deal with toward the end of the message. The Apostle Paul talks about his life and his calling and his prayers for them. He talks about his ministry and the gospel and how he's ready to take the gospel uh, to the Roman world. How he's ready to come to the city of Rome and bring them the gospel. And that may not mean much to you, but if you study uh, about what, uh, what was taking place within uh, the walls of the city of Rome during this time in which uh, Paul from a, from a place in uh, Corinth is writing and sending this letter uh, to those in Rome, you would understand that Rome was in great need of the gospel. History tells us that Paul sent this letter and had been praying to God that God would let him go to Rome and preach the gospel there. But history tells us that it was three years before Paul was ever able to make it to Rome to preach there in person. But in that period of time, God gave him a letter that he sent, and that letter empowered the churches of Rome to preach right doctrine and to preach the gospel as clear as God had given him a revelation of the gospel to those in Rome, even in his absence. And here we find that the Apostle Paul, as he talks about the gospel, reminds them that it is within the gospel that the righteousness of God is put on display how holy he is and how righteous he is because the gospel says that humanity is sinful but there's a God that is not and you must realize your guilt and his holiness and come to the one that never made a mistake that died in your place that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus 
It's revealed from faith to faith. It is revealed from an individual that places their faith in Christ and then lives out that faith in their everyday life. The just, he says, shall live by faith. But as he talks about the gospel, you cannot preach the gospel and simply uh, share the good news of God's righteousness without also sharing the bad news of man's wickedness. And here he says that it is that the gospel declares that it is not only the righteousness of God which is revealed and manifestly uh, able to be seen on every hand, but also as we look around us, the wrath of God is revealed field in the world in which we live. And he takes these next verses between verse number 18 and verse number 32 to describe why God is wrathful toward humanity and what his wrath looks like. Not, not in the ages to come. He's not talking about the wrath of God for sin and hell. He's talking about God's wrath that is being displayed in the world in which Paul was living, in the world in which these Romans were living and I submit to you to where you and I can see the wrath of God on this earth in the world in which we live. If you you look out in the world in which we're living in today, you will see wickedness on every hand and whether you realize it or not, you will see God dealing with that wickedness. Let's look this morning quickly at verse number 18. And as we do so, I want to preach on this thought, and I hope before the end of the message the the subject makes sense to you. I want to preach on this, this thought, a snapshot of society. A snapshot of society. Paul here gives us a snapshot, if you will, about the Roman society that he was writing to. And I believe as we see these truths that are given to Rome and as they are presented in a very uh, generic and very general uh, universal appeal, we also understand that the words of Romans 1, 18 through 32 are just as pertinent to us today as they were in Rome in Paul's day. Notice verse number 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. First of all, let me say this. As we look at this snapshot of our society, let me say first of all, and this is what I said would be the long point that I'd give, I see a snapshot of Roman society and our American society in what I'm calling the sinner's activity. The Bible says here that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Notice this now, against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness of men. So that leads me to believe and to know that mankind that he's speaking of, God has described in two ways. That man is ungodly and man is unrighteous. 
The Bible here tells us that plainly, that man is ungodly and that man is unrighteous. In other words, that man is wicked, that man is polluted by our wickedness, that we are neglectful of the kind of reverence and, and fear that we ought to have of God. And we are neglectful in giving him the worship that he deserves from us. We violate his commands. Our actions are the opposite of his. The word ungodly is simply a word that negates the character of godliness. God is the embodiment of what godliness means. We are the opposite of that. We are un- Godly. The Bible clearly teaches us in this book of Romans that man, uh, that man is a sinful, that all humanity are sinners. For the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person under the sound of my voice, uh, you are a sinner. Amen. By birth, by nature, and by choice. Paul also wrote to the Romans, and he says there in verse number 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That is what humanity is. We are ungodly, but we also are unrighteous. Unrighteous means that we live in wrongdoing. That we live in the wrong. The word ungodly and the word unrighteous are uh, synonyms of sort. But unrighteousness means that there is a right way and mankind does not go that right way. Our nature has us going the wrong way more often than we go the right way. Our nature has us going in ways of sinfulness rather than ways of godliness. So with general terminology in verse number 18 that encompasses the whole gauntlet of sinful activity, the Apostle Paul lets these, this crowd in Rome know that man is ungodly, that man is unrighteous. He goes on to list several other sinful activities. Verse number 18, these are more specific. Verse number 18, he says, mankind holds the truth in unrighteousness. The Bible says in verse number 21 that they know God, but they do not glorify him as God. Verse 21 says that they know God, but they are not thankful unto him. Verse 21 says that man becomes vain in their imaginations. Verse 21 says that when they become vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart is darkened. In verse 22, the Bible says that there's a group of people in the body of humanity that profess themselves to be wise and become fools. In verse number 23, the Bible says that it is mankind that changes the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and other creatures. He says in verse 24 that men have lustful hearts that lead them to dishonor their bodies between themselves. In verse 25 the Bible says that it is men that change the truth of God into a lie. In verse 25 he says it is mankind that worships and serves the creature more than the creator. In verse number 
number 26 and 27, the Bible said that mankind that is comprised of both male and female, women and men, that they have left the natural use of the woman to engage in that which is unnatural, that is against nature, and that which is unseemly. The Bible says in verse 28 that, that mankind does not like to retain God in their knowledge. The Bible says in verse 29 through 31 that they are filled with that long list of sins that is contained between those verses. The Bible says finally in verse number 32 that mankind has pleasure in the committing of these wicked sins even though they know the judgment of God. They understand that God is a God, according to these verses, that does not let sin go by unpunished. We have a God that is not like us. Verse number 18 talks about the unrighteousness of men, talks about the ungodliness of men. Why is it that God is, ex is exhibiting wrath toward the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men? It's because God is not either one of those things. God is not ungodly. He's not unrighteous. He is the embodiment of what it is to be godly, the embodiment of what it is to be right. God is holy. 1 Samuel 2, 12 says there is none holy as the Lord. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 16, God declared himself. He said, I am holy. Isaiah 57, 15, the Bible says that his name is holy. That is who he is. You can mark it down. You want to call God? anything. He said in Isaiah's day, call me holy. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 6, 3. The Bible said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Yeah. The whole earth is filled with His glory. It's full of His glory. Today we are living in a world where mankind is doing everything they can to, in, to embrace and embody a lifestyle that is ungodly and unrighteous. And God is a holy God and He will not compromise His holiness for anything. We live in a day that wants to cry out about the love of God. Oh, God is love. And if God is love and loving and, and He's all of these things, then He wouldn't let this happen and he, he wouldn't be judgmental against this group. And, and he wouldn't have his uh, children in hate saying something about this group or that group or uh, this particular uh, 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 subsection of our country. No, friend, we understand that God is holy. And we are, God is love, that he is loving. But God will never, even in his love, contradict his holiness. God loves us the way he does because his love love stems forth from His holiness. His love declares that He is a holy God. Why is it that John 3, 16 exists? It's because He's more than just loving, but it's because He is holy. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the world so much that He sent His Son to Calvary to deal with the sin problem because His holiness would not not let him erase the sin problem apart from Christ bleeding and dying and rising from the dead. His son had to die in our place because his holiness did not let him wipe the slate clean. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission. 
And so you cannot separate the love of God or the holiness of God from the love of God. The holiness of God demands that he can and he will deal with sin and he will not tolerate it. That's why the wrath of God in verse 18 is against ungodliness, is against unholiness, and it is on display in the world in which we live. God is not slowing down when it comes to dealing with sin. God is not slowing up when it comes to dealing with sin. He deals with it immediately. Notice what the Bible says here. Verse 18. I'm going somewhere. And like I said, we'll be here tonight too, so no need to, no need to get tense this morning. <laughs> Notice this. The wrath of, for the wrath, verse 18, for the wrath of God is. Seems to me like God didn't take any time. Right. To go ahead and deal with sin. As soon as sin is engaged in, God deals with that in wrath. It is currently in Paul's day and it currently is our day, in our day, is being dealt with. Notice this phrase, and I'm probably getting uh, extra ahead of myself this morning. But notice what the Bible says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice this, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Remember we talked about that we gave that list of the sins that's given here. They are ungodly. That is, uh, that is generically speaking. That is, summari- uh, some, that is a summary. Man is ungodly. Man is unrighteous. But now we move from the uh, summarized verse to the specific verses. Verse 19 he says or it, moving from verse 18 to verse 19 he says who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Notice the comma there talks about the unrighteousness of men and then the description of mankind are those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now I'm going to prove this in just a moment. But I would submit to you that according to the context of verse number 19 through 21 that there is not a man alive. There's not a woman alive. There's not a member of mankind alive that does not hold the truth in unrighteousness. You know, we, we, we have a group of people in our mind that we think about are those who hold the truth. You think about the Sunday school kid that's been on a church pew their whole life. That's someone who holds the truth. You'd say if they walk away from the things of God, then they're holding the truth in unrighteousness. By the way, the, the phrase holding the truth literally is exactly the way it sounds. Now, I understand there's probably a lot of so-called scholars out there that would try to brush that away, but it literally means that you possess the truth. You have a grasp on the truth. The truth is not hidden from you. By the way, I would submit to you according to these verses, and we'll deal with these as we go through in more specific ways, but I would submit to you there are more people that have the truth than we would normally give credit for. Again, I say we think about the Sunday school kid. We think about the person that's been on a church pew their entire life. We think about the preacher. We think about the the Sunday school teacher. We think about uh, just the, uh, the people that have been familiar with church. They have the truth. We think about the one uh, that might have been to vacation Bible school and heard the gospel. We think about even the ones that might have a gospel tract presented to them. They have the truth. Somebody has came to them, has preached to them, has put a printed copy of the Word of God in their hand, and so they have the truth. They possess the truth. Amen. And so if those people walk away from the truth, then they're holding the truth in unrighteousness. But what about those 
And believe it or not, there are some, even in our state, even in our town, who have never one time been handed a gospel track. What about them? What about those all around the world that have never, have never been in a church, have never heard a preacher preach the gospel? What about them? Remember what I said to you just a minute ago, there's not a person alive in this world that does not hold the truth in unrighteousness. Look at verse 19 with me this morning. In context of men being ungodly and unrighteous, holding, holding uh, the truth in unrighteousness, he says in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the well, I'm going back, don't worry, I want you to see the context. Again, this is not my normal style of preaching, so y'all forgive me for kind of being all over the place. <laughs> for the invisible things of Him, notice this now, from the creation of the world. So in other words, there's not one generation of humanity that has not been given a clear presentation of who God is. The Bible says the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Every generation that has ever lived on this planet from God's creative, God creating the first man until now, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, Paul said. Being understood, notice this, by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When we ask the question, what about the one in the jungles of Africa that's never heard? What about those on the other side of the world that may be in, in some kind of Asian country or, or some kind of Middle Eastern country to where it is illegal uh, to present the gospel in their country? What about them? The Bible says they are without excuse. Because the Bible says here that God has made known, notice this, he says, that which may be known of God. God has made himself known, has made himself manifest by the things that he made. Is that not what verse 19 and 20 say? Verse 19 tells me this. If you, if you want to know God, God can be known. That's right. Verse number 19 tells me this. That what, notice he says this in verse 19. That which may be known of God. Let me say this. There are some things that we'll never know about the Lord. If you want to know what God's thinking this very minute, I can't tell you that. If, if, if you want me to describe to you what heaven looks like outside of what the Bible says, I can't explain those things to you. There are things about God that I'll read in this Bible that I'll just have to admit I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There are several of you that have asked me questions and I've had to tell you I'll have to go look on that and study on it and see what, what happened because I don't know right off. Right. Y'all wouldn't believe that the preacher doesn't know everything, but I don't. I promise you I don't. None of us do. Here he says, but it says that, that implies that there may be some, there may be some things that we may never know of God, but there are some things that can be known of God. 
And the Bible says the things that we can know of God, we can understand by, this, by the things that he made, by humanity that he made, by the world that he made, by the nature that he made, by all of the natural uh, parts of the creative work of God. God is seen in all of those things. You say, preacher, how, how do we see God? The Bible says here that it's man, that the, what can be known about God is manifest in them. Notice, notice what it says here. Think about this. Amen. I'm all over the place. Amen. I had some, I had some notes on this at one time. Here we go. Amen. Look at verse number, verse number 19 again. Talking about that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So God can be known. He has made it clear. He's made it manifest to them uh, who, he, the, who He is and that He can be known. God has showed it unto them. God has shown it unto mankind, even mankind who holds the truth in unrighteousness. And the truth that He's talking about is described between verse 19 and 21. He says, for the invisible things of Him, so those things that we may not be able to see with our naked eye uh, about the Lord, I've never seen His face. I've never seen when he works in my life a physical hand extend from the heavens and work in my life. Amen. When God has provided my needs, he has never reached out a hand from heaven and handed me my next meal or handed me the clothes on my back and said, Josh, this is for you. That's never happened. There are things about the Lord that is invisible, and that's why we live in a world where so many people have such trouble admitting to the fact that there's a God. We live in a world where seeing is believing, and the Bible says here that there are invisible things about the Lord. However, creation shows details concerning an invisible God. Notice the details here. Notice what he says. For the and I'm hurrying through some of these things. I hope, I hope that's making sense. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Notice that it's clear to mankind. He hasn't exempted anybody. It's clear. By the way, all of those that say that they're atheists is included in this group. All of those that say they're agnostic, it's included in this group. God said that He has made Himself known to them. He's shown Himself to them. He's made it clear to them. Oh, I just, I'm an agnostic because I just can't understand if there's a God. I, I, can't, I can't prove that there's God, you don't have to. He's already proven himself. You don't have to prove him. He's already proven himself. This verse tells, tells us some things that we can see. What's clearly seen? It says, being understood by the things that are made, what does creation show us? Number one, it talks about his eternal power. Can I say this? Here's what God declares about Himself. No matter if these people have heard the gospel, no matter if they have heard a preacher preach, no matter if they've been in a Sunday school class, there are some things that nature and creation itself clearly describes to anyone in this world about the Lord. Number one, it says that He is before me. Note the word eternal there. When mankind looks at creation, they say... All of this was here before I arrived on the scene. I was, I'm about, I was about to give my birth year, but that might be distracting for some of you. <laughs> I'm about to turn 30, so do the math. This coming week, at the end of this week, Thursday, I'll be 30. 
or Friday, whenever that is. 28, whenever that is. <laughs> so do the math. But when I was born, the day that I was born, the world that I'm living in now didn't start along my life's journey. It was already here. Right. It, it didn't reveal itself to me. I was born into it. Yeah. Creation says there's somebody or something that caused this to come into being before I ever came around. That's right. And every generation of humanity... You go back thousands of years to, to, uh, to uh, stories written in hieroglyphics carved on Egyptian walls. You go back thousands of years to the oldest piece of papyrus of any ancient civilization. You'll know even in all of their religions, there's one thing that every world religion has in common. A creation story. Whether they say Allah did it, whether they say God did it, whether they said, uh, whether they say whatever the God is, Horus did it or whoever, Vishnu or whoever, depending on the world religion, whoever that is, there's all there's always a creation story. Every generation that has ever lived has said that I did not create the world, but I came into it. His eternal says he was before me. Now think about this. What is seen in the creation, it says his eternal power. That doesn't say that, uh, that he was before me. That says uh, that, he is, uh, that he is bigger than me, that he is uh, better than me. When I, when, I look at, when I look at the word power and, and when I look at creation, I think not only was there somebody before me that had to do all this for me to come into, but I realize I can't do all this. <laughs> Let me ask you, and I know this is a silly question, but let me ask you this just for the sake of our understanding. Is anybody in here, I'm not asking if you've ever grown anything. I'm asking you, have any of you in here ever made a tree? <laughs> have you ever made a grain of sand? There are things that were here before us, and those things that were here before us no human being that has ever lived on this planet could ever duplicate. It means that He is before me, eternal. It means that He is bigger than me. He is more powerful than I am. He has in His ability things that is not in my ability, power. But then notice He says this, He's eternal power and Godhead. That eternal says He's before me. Power says he's bigger than me, but Godhead says that he's better than me. You say, why is that? Because, yes, the word Godhead does imply the Trinity in the Scriptures, but in its essence it means this, divinity, yeah. deity. When you see Godhead, His eternal power and Godhead, when you get to the fact when any mankind, even, even in a jungle somewhere, amen, where they haven't even seen the first missionary, and when they look at the world in which they were born in, they say, there was someone here before me that made this. There was someone bigger than me that had to make all of this. And then if they can understand there was somebody here before me, and there's somebody here better than me. Yeah. You know what all of that points to? 
That individual must be God. His Godhead, his deity, his divinity. All of those things point to the fact that there is a God that is better than humanity. Again, I say we are unrighteous. We are unholy. We are ungodly. But he is none of those things. He's better than us. He's holier than us. The, the creation says he was before me. He's bigger than me. He's better than me. And those three things that are dispelled by God's creative work leaves man without excuse. God is revealing himself through, to the world through his creation. How long have I been preaching? 38 minutes. I won't hold you too much longer this morning. Let me say this. I have told you this numerous times since I've been your pastor. I believe with all of my heart, if there is someone that truly looks at God's creative work, realize there was someone here before me, someone here better than me, someone here bigger than me, and they look at God's creation and they say, I sure would like to know more about this Godhead that I see. I would not be surprised if somewhere on the other side of the world, somebody might be sitting in a church, maybe even, maybe even an American church. Doesn't have to be. Maybe even Beacon Baptist Church, where there's a young man or a young lady or an older man or an older lady, somebody that has a heart for God, that God may come and sit next to them on their seat in the house of God and say, hey, I want you to go to this place. And I want you to speak my word to this people. And God may reach out to the heart of some person and call some missionary. May even be a place where no one has ever been. So that that individual that said in their heart to a God that knows not just what we say out loud, but what we think in our mind and what's in our heart. A God that knows what's in our heart. God heard their hearts cry when they said, I sure would like to know about this God that has to exist. And God sends a missionary to say that one that's before you, that one that's bigger than you, that one that's better than you, his name is Jesus. And he came into this world and in a part of the world you've never been to, he died on a cross in your place. And they're able to give more light and to give the gospel. I believe God does that with all of my heart. However, the Bible here says that God loves His creation so much that He doesn't leave them to chance. He doesn't leave their soul to chance. He doesn't leave a generation of people waiting on a deputation process, waiting on, waiting on some kind of, uh, some kind of missionary to come. And while they're trying to get there, if they, if they died, that they're without hope. There's enough in God's creation for someone to say in their heart, there has to be a God, and I'm trusting that, I'm, that I'm trusting that He's bigger than me and better than me, and that they want more of Him, and they desire more of Him, and God here gives this truth that there's none without excuse. I believe if a man responds positively to what he sees in creation, God will give him a gospel to believe. God will give him a gospel to put his faith in.
But I believe that there are many lands all over the world that the reason why they've never had a missionary in their land is because the people that are there, when they saw that there is that there has to be someone that's bigger than them, better than them, and before them, when they said that, they turned off their ears to the truth. They said, I, they, they said, I like our wars. I like our hatred. I like our fornication. I like our sinfulness. I like our cutting ourselves. I like us painting ourselves. I, I like all of these things that we do. And when man's heart says, I love my sin more than I love the light that I'm beginning to see, God doesn't let him see any more light. God's not obligated to give you the gospel once right. if you reject the first light that he gives you. That's right. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not preaching heresy this morning. I'm preaching the Bible. That's what that Bible says. If there's someone that wants to know more, God can give them more. But if God gives them what he's already given them so that they are without excuse and they completely turn their, turn their heart away from it, he doesn't have to send them a missionary. That's right. That's right. He doesn't have to. I would hate to, to think about where all of those, y'all have seen it in the news, the famous island called the Sentinel Islands. There have been just a handful of people that have landed on the island to try to be missionaries. One, one uh, a few years ago charted a trip, got a boat, and went to those islands, and got, made his way to shore. And before he had been there 48 hours, they'd already killed him. Everyone that ever comes there, they shoot at and they try to kill. I wouldn't be surprised if the reason why there is no light in that part of the world is because God has sent missionary after missionary and they've killed them. We've got to be careful when it comes. And this is the way I'm going to wrap this first part up. I'll deal more with those texts here in a minute and apply those to society. But friend, you listen to me. When God gives you light, you better respond correctly to the light that he gives you. Yes, sir. When God, when God gives you a servant that puts the Word of God in front of you, you need to be careful with how you respond to it. We're living in a world that is lost in dark, lost in darkness and sinfulness. And one of the reasons why so many parts of the world have remained that way is because there's a God that's giving them light that they are rejecting on every hand. I'm not saying that God won't, God won't ever send a missionary. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. If God chose not to, he wouldn't be unjust. Why? Because they're without excuse. He gave them light. All the world has light. All the world has been declared in their mind and in their heart that there is a God. Creation speaks to that end. Creation proves that. He said that he's made it clear to them. He's made it known to them, verse 19, that the invisible things of him are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. All of those that live in a world where the God's creative work is all around us, the Bible said in the heart of hearts man knows and understands that that has to come from God. Does the Bible not say that the law that God wrote his law upon the fleshly tables of our hearts? This Bible, they, we, there, there, there may be folks that there may be folks that can't quote a verse of Scripture, but the, the the law of God, the rights and wrongs, the righteousness versus unrighteousness is written on the hearts of men. Yes, sir. The most diehard atheist in the world today, most of them would tell you 
that taking another man's wife is wrong. Most societies that have never had any kind of any kind of Christian religion, when they showed up on that island, when they showed up in that heathenistic land, guess what they weren't doing? They weren't stealing from each other. They weren't killing each other. And every man kept his own wife, and they didn't pass spouses back and forth. Why? Because God's wrote His law on our hearts. There are certain things of right and wrong that men know are right, and there's things that men know are wrong from from who they are on the depths of their soul that God has written on their hearts. And when man rejects what God has already given them, then they stand in a place where God's wrath will be revealed in their lives. We'll pick up more about that tonight. Friend, I'm telling you, respond to truth when God gives it to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.